Welcome to Giant Sized Violence, a Toku Comics podcast. I'm your host, Tommy. And I'm Ari. Joining me today is my fashion consultant, roommate, partner, and girlfriend, and now occasional co-host. Welcome to the show, Ari. Hi, always a pleasure. We're doing just kind of a quick impromptu episode here, mostly because we're testing out my new setup for in-person recordings, a new development for the podcast, and... The two of us are about to sit down to watch Shin Kamen Rider. Yay. Ari, what do you know about Kamen Rider going into this? Before I met you, or... Uh, yeah. What did you know about him before you met me, and what do you know about him now? Okay. I knew, like, the basics before. Like, I was really into Ultraman as a kid, and I knew that it was kind of in the similar vein along with Toku Spider-Man. So I knew of it. I kind of knew what it was. I knew he was a cool little bug-looking guy. But then when we started dating, you had the Common Writer book by your uh, bedside. And so whenever you'd be like, you know, in the shower, or, you know, brushing your teeth or whatever, I would be paging through it. And that's when I learned all the little details about Shocker and like the origin and everything. Hmm. That's... Still fairly new to it, and just, you know, girlfriend-level knowledge. (laughs) And meanwhile, just this last week, I was on the Henshin Men podcast, and will be republishing that on my feed, where I covered that original Kamen Rider manga. I've showed airy little bits here and there of other things, namely Kamen Rider Black, which, as I've talked about many times on the show before, big fan of. But going into Shin Kamen Rider, what do you know about this movie and the whole Shin line of films? Well, I did a little research today. (laughs) Yeah, I wikied it. So I know there's the Ultraman one, which I'd very much like to see. I know we've had that on our list for a minute. And what I didn't know was that there was a Evangelion one Mm -hmm. that apparently sucks from everything I've well, read as of today, but... No, no, th- those people, they're wrong. For one thing, uh, I'm pretty sure I've shown you that best bisexual piano scene in all of media. Oh, yeah! That's from the third one. Okay. Uh, they get really queer. And the fourth one, I think, is a nice little wrap-up to the franchise. Like, mm-hmm. one, it, it's... Hideki Anno is the creator of Evangelion. Yeah. He came back for it and is kind of behind the scenes on mm-hmm. all of the Shin movies. Okay. So, like, one, he's in a much better place with his depression now, so he can give the franchise a happy ending. Oh, good. And turns out, oh, which which girl is best girl of all mm-hmm. of them? Spoilers for the fourth Evangelion movie, but it's some new grown woman and not any of his childhood crushes that are all okay. problematic in their own ways. That's the ending I want. Like, it's a new page for Shinji and not just everyone's a thing of goo and yeah. she's alone with a girl that hates him like and not that fucking little purple haired boy fucks him over yeah i had big hopes for that relationship but hey yeah. now instead they're playing piano for each other and like yeah i feel like they have a much better dynamic in the movie still there's some dark stuff mm-hmm. that happens between them but yeah i, I really think the van going rebuild films are good shin godzilla like uh, yeah that's that Yes, I have actually. Yes. Okay, yeah. That I really loved. Like, mm-hmm. I'm a bad Godzilla fan and have never really liked the original, but this is kind of 
I think the reimagining of that I always wanted. And like that, I would really recommend anyone look up. I know you can even find it for free some places online yeah. because it's in like the Library of Congress because it was like best picture in Japan that year. Mm-hmm. Just like such a culturally relevant movie. And Shin Ultraman, I don't really know all that much about other than I'm going to be watching it. Yeah. And like just looks like a nice reimagining or like a nice reboot of the franchise. Mm-hmm. But this I'm just hearing is like a really fun anime style superhero movie i hear there's a lot crammed into this like yes uh, nathan from henshin man was telling me they managed to pull like a 90 episode show into a movie and mm-hmm. put a lot of those 90 episodes into two hours that sounds awesome and i've been reading about the effects a lot and i'm very excited to see those so oh were they mostly practical from what you found yeah practical and low budget but like really innovative and they look really good apparently mm. from what i've heard Well, with all that said, I think we're going to sit down here and watch the movie, and you'll be hearing back from us once it's done. And we're back. So we just finished watching Shin Kamen Rider. I think neither of us were expecting to be quite as blown away by that as we were. So good. Yeah, that was quite the ride. No pun intended. (laughs) I expected to like this more than most common writer content I've seen, but like, if I'm being honest, this might be my favorite piece of common writer media yet, just since this had so much of what I've liked in other media, especially some of the 90s movies they did, and it was just all crammed into one two-hour experience that I feel like I can actually show other people without them needing to like have a pre-existing love of tokusatsu to enjoy and i'm i'm one of those people to be <laughs> honest and i really enjoyed it like we were saying i really wish more superhero movies right now were like this it was just really fun and non-stop i loved it i'm pretty sure there's more action than not action in this movie yeah. by a considerable amount like they'll slow down for like half a scene and then immediately something is exploding Mm-hmm. And I just like that because it doesn't feel like it fits any kind of the Marvel formula of a superhero movie. Like, it starts right in the middle of things. Like, our hero has already been transformed into a cyborg, and they're already escaping bad guys. And, like, it feels like an entire series crammed into a two-hour movie, but almost more like a, a highlight reel reimagining that series rather than just a crummy anime movie that's trying to cram a season into one build-up film yeah like you kept mentioning him while we were watching it and i love this about it it has like the whole rogues gallery which was really cool and for someone like me that had just read the beginning of it it starts out with the beginning the very similar to how it is in the manga and then on top of that i got to see all the characters that were on the cover of the manga that i had wondered about (laughs) like there was man bat there is like man spider like all of them And the movie actually kind of follows the sequence of the original show and the comic, too. And, like, Mm -hmm. okay, and this is in a lot of common Rider stuff. Like, fight a spider first, fight a bat second. I loved how much they redesigned the villains. So, like, common Rider doesn't stand out among them. Like, in the other properties, it seems a little weird. Like, okay, you have these big rubber suit monsters that are made by the same organization that made common Rider. But for some reason, they decided to just make a Power Ranger with Kamen Rider and turn everything else into thematic animal cyborgs. Whereas this, like, they gave them all helmets, so each one of them, like, looks kind of like a Kamen Rider in their own right and Mm -hmm. has the similar vibe. 
The villain designs were amazing, and just the effects in themselves were mind-blowing. I love things that you haven't really seen before, and the way they did these effects were just so cool. Like, the man-bat that I mentioned earlier, the way his wings are flapping really is cool. Like, it looks very uncanny and surreal, but that is how bat wings would look. And then when it's, like, the close-up of him flying around... They literally have his face, like, juxtaposed over the wings, and it's such an easy effect, but it just looks amazing, and it's just in your face. It sounds weird saying it, but this movie makes bad CGI look good. It really does. Like, there's a lot of practical effects that look really well, and then they're, like, kind of enhanced by CGI at times, but, like... Mm. They really only cut to CGI when they kind of have to, Mm -hmm. and they make it look cartoony enough, but also, like have just that dose of realism to it that like i don't mind that it doesn't look real or it might not be marvel quality quote unquote Mm -hmm. for whatever that means at this point uh the climax was a hundred percent more satisfying because the effects were a little bit more down to earth and the story was so good that i was actually following the story i wasn't just watching like angry screaming colors uh, at the end kind of like ready for it to end I was actually in the story, and it also, from how we've been describing it so far, a lot of people might get, like, a 1960s Adam West Batman feel or something, but no, it still really keeps the drama, and at the end, it has that moment where the character is completely weak, and Mm. you don't know if they're going to make it or not, which is, oh, something I always love. But it really takes it away from, like, it's not parody. It's such an homage to, like, the 70s. When I say I've never seen Common Rider like this before, I don't just mean it's gritty or more realistic or having better effects. I mean, like, I've never seen Common Rider look this vulnerable in something. Like, mm-hmm. already, he takes his helmet off while the rest of the suit is on, which is kind of uncommon. Like, I don't think the original show ever actually did that. Could be mistaken. But, like... We see him break down like a full big sob like that was really moving. Like, I don't think I've seen a cry that hit that hard in almost any American superhero movie. And like, that just seems so weird to me to see Kamen Rider crying. Like, you don't get that. But like, when there's so few emotional moments in your movie and then you make the few you have hit this hard, like it just shows how good they are with how they budget their time in the film Mm -hmm. and still get to drown you out in like ridiculous action. But then actually make you care about these characters and understand what's at stake even though we only have like two or three characters to root for and almost no non-super plot heavy characters no average humans to remind them of what they're trying to save or anything like that thank god Uh, (laughs) i'm so tired of that shit you're saying you didn't need the uh crying woman at the end of avengers thinking oh god (laughs) no i did not (laughs) and Yeah, on that last action scene, like, okay, so for the first 80% of the movie, we get, like, six to eight different pretty episodic monster fights, Mm -hmm. each one different than the last, but, like, you would think by that point you'd be kind of, like, exhausted with the monsters, or I could just be rehashing things, but... It opens with a great homage to the best chapter of the comic, the uh, the 13 Riders sequence. Mm-hmm. And, like, again, this is where the CGI starts to take over a little bit more. But, like, it's in such a cool, like, stylized fashion. Almost like a grittier speed racer or something. Yeah. And 
This is like the first motorcycle on motorcycle chase action scene. It's our first time seeing the two common riders work together. And this was my favorite part of the comic. And this blew that away. It really did. That last action scene, like kind of the climax scene with 13 riders, is one of the best movie finales I've seen all year. I'd say that and the Mission Impossible 7 set piece with the train (laughs) were like two of the best final set pieces of movies I've seen like this year or even last year. Mm -hmm. What I love is that they follow that up with the uh, big boss fight with the butterfly man they've been building Mm -hmm. up to and actually do a good job making someone who's butterfly themed be really intimidating. Yeah. But like when it gets to like their last, the end of their battle, like it's just three guys on the floor, like grappling and wrestling each other in like the most real and slow fight in this movie that everything else has looked like an anime battle. But, (laughs) um, yeah, like I see them grappling around on the ground. They're all out of breath. And I'm like, I've been in this fight. It was, yes, in middle school wrestling more often than not, but I've, <laughs> this this is a real fight. I've been in that one. It looks just like somebody took a VHS recording of just three dudes wrestling or something. <laughs> it's like, oh, it was amazing. It's like three guys in Kamen Rider outfits got drunk, but their friend that's like an expert at cinematography had all his camera equipment. <laughs> all right, we got some cosplayers. We got a film crew. Got way too much alcohol. Let's wrestle. <laughs> yeah. And it's just so real. Like, it feels like French New Wave or something, that scene. Like, I really, really liked it. And I think that's what a movie that's this dense with high-intensity action scenes needs so that the final fight doesn't just blend in with all the rest. Like, this did feel significantly different than those. And, like, it's way more emotional and it has a very different outcome with... Like, the whole crux of the scene is the common writer is trying, one of the common writers is trying to get his helmet on the villain to, like, kind of show him the world through Butterfly Man's, like, sister's eyes or to help, like, these two AI reconcile. Like, it's not just him trying to blow up the other monster and, like, that adds so much more emotional weight to the scene. Yeah, it's really engaging. This did a great job, like, putting in a lot of elements of classic Kamen Rider, both its manga and its show. But I do like seeing the little tastes of what Kamen Rider has done since then. Like, all the villains looking like other cyborgs with similar Kamen Rider helmets and stuff. That's pretty similar to what the show is like now, where I think there are some seasons where there's never, like, a proper monster of the week. Like, Every villain the hero fights is another writer-looking character. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I was really glad to see that because, like, I'm seeing these awesome common writer suits and I'm thinking, like, ah, oh, man, I wish I could cosplay as that. But, like, it's all dudes so far. I feel a little weird. And then Bee Woman or Wasp Woman Wasp this Woman, shows up. Yeah. Like, there we go. I can pull that off. And mm-hmm. so much fun costume potential without having to, like, get weird. As long as you can afford one high-end helmet, you've got a pretty solid cosplay on your hands. Yeah. And... I actually kind of like, um, one thing we haven't mentioned yet is we've been calling them by their traditional names of like Man Bat or Batman or mm-hmm. Man Spider or whatever. But in the movie, they call them like Spider Og or Bat Og or yeah, whatever. For, for augment or like augmentation. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like that too because it just, it makes it its own a little bit. I don't know. I just think it went with the story really well. I would have been annoyed normally, but it just, they included it really well. Like, the recurring theme of it is augmented humanity, Mm -hmm. and there's almost no human characters in this. Like, even the main 
I don't know if I'd call her a love interest, but the female companion who was a love interest in the classic versions, she's now a cyborg in this as well, and like all the villains are, and we get, most of them we get to see some level of their human form, whereas in the manga it was always like, we see them when they're already a giant bat person or Mm -hmm. whatever. But this kind of just sells like, okay, this is either taking humanity and corrupting it, or it's like a cheap imitation of humanity. And... I feel like that also plays with the theme. Like, now Shocker isn't just a bunch of Nazi scientists trying to dominate the world. Like, it's all a corrupt AI that's goal is to, like, achieve peak happiness in the world. Mm -hmm. I feel like that just plays into the whole idea of Kamen Rider way better since he is a cyborg. And he's struggling with the fact that he's a cyborg and what that means for his humanity. So, like, I I genuinely think this is a much stronger reimagining of the character than what we even got originally. Yeah. And you just mentioned it. The female character. Ruriko. Ruriko, yeah. I love that they're not just a love interest. Mm -hmm. They're a really well-built character. Like, I really liked her character. She engaged me in the movie even more. And the whole time I was dreading, like, the love interest thing. But they don't even go there, and it's great. And you have this fully fleshed-out character that adds drama to the story. It's really good. Yeah, it's like a Miyazaki-style love interest yeah. situation because there's clearly love there and like mm-hmm. that that's a lot of the good emotionally vulnerable moments around her like we see that she never feels safe no matter where she is mm-hmm. and that's why she's like batman and always prepared and like seeing common rider is the first one to like kind of offer any level of comfort or like in a video she leaves for him in the end she specifies i actually felt happy while i was with you mm-hmm. and it builds this emotional connection that's honestly way stronger than some kind of love interest would have been and like they both i don't quite want to say familial bond mm-hmm. between them but like they both share an origin with the professor that made common rider that's kind of like ruriko's father and you you can tell that it's both some level of their connection to him that's mostly motivating them it's a love that you get from two people who have fought together. Mm-hmm. And as a military kid, that's something that's like huge for me. And that that's a really powerful bond and a really powerful love. And the fact that they didn't need to go into any romantic stuff to achieve that really impressed me. Even with like limited dialogue, they do a pretty good job with that between uh, like the first writer, Hongo, and then the second writer that comes in kind of in the third act, Hayato. Mm-hmm. Like, we, they show that he's distinctly different and doesn't feel the same obligation to like work with the government to take down Shocker and is like more of a loner. But like, we also see this weird connection or bond he feels to Hongo. Mm hmm. And really, I just love the subtle things they did with him. Like, I think for someone uninitiated with Kamen Rider, it'd be understandable to see this and be like, well, wait, why Why all of a sudden does, do they become really quippy? Like, it's Spider-Man or Deadpool when, like, that actually is pretty true to the source material and that that second writer was way more lighthearted and jokey and the TV show, like, that was where the show really lightened up quite a bit. So, yeah, when he shows up, all of a sudden he's making, like, wisecracks when things are looking bad with the other 13 writers. But, like, still, you get that distinct personality. Like, Hongo's not the one making these jokes. But, yeah, I feel like that just fits so well. And with a character that got, like, probably less than 30 minutes of screen time, we mm-hmm. get a distinct idea. And people who have heard my Common Rider manga episode will all spoil the movie a bit. But it does end off in a similar place with Hongo kind of sacrificing his life to take out 
Ruriko's brother, the butterfly man, and yet, like, his consciousness is still present with Hayato in the helmet, rather than this being, like, a telepathic brain-in-a-jar link, like, it's instead, like, turning the helmet into an actual mantle that, like, mm-hmm. Hongo is being carried on in the next rider, and even though that character won't show up in any potential sequel or further story, we get that level of legacy that's been there since, like, the beginning of Kamen Rider. And it was really fun seeing you get, as a hardcore Kamen Rider fan, seeing you get really excited about all those Easter eggs. <laughs> and even I got a few of the Easter eggs, too. And, wow, they did that really well. I don't want to give anything away, but I was so proud of myself for getting an Easter egg about, like, 0.2 seconds before you did. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah. a really clever one. Yeah, particular injury with a particular cent- central character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, now that one was like, oh, that's clever. That one's even like a real-life reference. Like, <laughs> They did great. Yeah, I'll side with you there, not spoil every little fun thing. <laughs> Watching this, though, like... So when I say that this reminds me of my favorite writer things, or my favorite writer media from the 90s like uh common writer zio and common writer j were these 90s common writer movies that were only like 45 to 60 minutes long and it, they have the exact same pace this movie did like maybe mm-hmm. now it's only like three or four cyborgs but like you usually get like a spider a bat and a wasp and like they're just that awesome 90s gritty action movie thing i love like huck Hider, like you're like okay this is clearly trying to do robocop terminator and predator all in one movie so obviously i'm gonna be here for that but they they give you the full like common rider season experience in a very condensed time frame and this is just taking that on a way bigger budget glossing it up quite a bit to make it look good in the modern day and extending it so it's like yeah you could have split this into a mini series of like eight episodes but i'm glad you didn't because if you did it would probably be like a mediocre disney plus marvel show yeah and like it it's Seeing an international superhero movie that's so different from what we've been getting several times a year here in America really made me realize, like, the weaknesses and, like, the obvious opportunities we've been missing for so long. Because seeing a hero just go through a rogues gallery of, like, eight characters in a movie, I'm like, why why haven't we seen Batman do this yet? We've had, like, nine Batman movies and never does he have more than, like, three villains that have a really unbalanced screen time. Mm -hmm. Or, like, why, why can't we instead of getting a crummy streaming series, just, like, get some of this material crammed into one solid, like, two-hour piece of entertainment that doesn't have to fill itself with fluff. Yeah, most superhero movies that come out now, all they are is, like, setups for more movies, and they might, like, foreshadow certain villains that are going to be in other movies. The biggest one that's coming to my mind right now is Amazing Spider-Man Part 2, where, like, all that movie was was an advertisement for four other movies that would never happen. And I'm really, it's so refreshing to see something that's not just completely like an advertisement for sequels that may or may not happen. Everything is within the movie, it's a good storyline, and it does leave open to a possible sequel. Nathan from Henshinman was telling mm-hmm. me that, like, there are talks of doing a sequel, uh, like, World of Masks, I believe is what it translates to. That sounds so cool. Yeah, like, that fits really well, because, like, the mask theme is really 
prominent in this movie. And like we see that's like kind of where the power of the common rider lies is all within the helmet. Like that's I, I love that too, by the way. Yeah. The explanation of the rider powers, how like, oh yeah, once you put this helmet on, you're in like survival instinct mode and mm-hmm. like will immediately like resort to killing to to defend yourself. Like that's really awesome and gives an awesome way to work around like the kill debate in a superhero movie without yes. making your main character a bloodthirsty psychopath mm-hmm. and it's all really accessible to people who might be new to japanese media unlike something like and i love hakaider but unlike something like hakaider i couldn't just go into work and recommend to people like you need to watch Hakaider because <laughs> I'd have a lot of explaining to do when they came in the next day or after they watched it or whatever. But um, with this, like, I really feel like anyone could just watch it and totally understand what was going on for the most part. Mm-hmm. If you're someone who's maybe only listened to the podcast and never really taken a solid interest in Common Rider, since this is streaming on Amazon Prime and pretty widely available elsewhere, I really recommend checking this out to just kind of like this is the most mainstream appealing version of tokusatsu that I think I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you can just shut your brain off and enjoy a good streamlined superhero movie, get everything you want out of one of these without all the like little comic book nods or anything like that. One thing I will point out that I kind of want to talk to Ari about, but we'll refer to this movie as Shin Kamen Rider because that's like culturally what the character is known as. Amazon has this weird thing about changing it to Mask Rider, which did happen in America when they tried adapting him originally, and that is the literal translation of Kamen Rider. But yes, if if you want to find this on Amazon, you got to look up Shin Mask Rider instead. But any nerd worth his salt is going to be calling it Shin Kamen Rider. (laughs) But like, I will give it credit, like because the masks are such a central theme, like Mm -hmm. I can see why they would go ahead and like make that change. Like it's particular localization i don't love like i feel like mask rider has too much association with like any cowboy like the lone ranger could yeah. be the mask rider i think of the lone ranger instantly when i hear mask rider yeah common rider though like that's so ingrained in japanese superhero culture that mm. like you know what they're talking about it's not going to be some just any power ranger it's going to be some probably bug themed karate motorcycle man i always thought common meant wasp or bug or something Mm -hmm. (laughs) like i was i knew about it earlier like bug rider or something and yeah i feel like in japan like even referring to something as mask rider over there wouldn't have that same tie to cowboys like it would here so like it still would hit different like i'm honestly just at like a little bit of a loss like i didn't expect to like this movie that much i (laughs) thought i would probably enjoy it because like i've liked the other shin movies i've seen and like i've heard some people have a few stipulations when they talk about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you would send me an article that I had only like really read the headline of Common Writer is is the best comic book movie of the year or something. Yeah. And I was like, is it really? Like this is mm-hmm. probably something No, I I'll give it to him. Like yeah. I, I do think it's the best and I forget if it actually released in Japan last year or not, mm-hmm. but like yeah, I liked this better than Across the Spider-Verse. I yeah. mean, I have big qualms with Across the Spider-Verse being half a movie and also a transphobic experience we had to deal with in the theater. Story for another time. But uh, <laughs> no, anything that anything that puts this much movie into this little time and gives mm-hmm. you exactly what you want without trying to make you care about a franchise you've maybe never encountered before. Like, this has so much mainstream appeal, even for Americans that have never even heard of Kamen Rider yeah. before. 
Uh, I I think they're right. We haven't seen a com- we haven't seen a comic book or a superhero movie look like this in the United States before. I want American filmmakers to pay attention and do more things like this. And yeah, like, I cannot recommend this movie enough. And one side note of that article too was. I think that article came out right around when the Flash movie came out. <laughs> and uh, don't get me wrong, I loved the Flash movie. I, I think mm. I loved the Flash movie more than most people. I, I really, really enjoyed it. But I just think audiences are just, we're burnt out. Mm. We are burnt out on it, like Hollywood. And I think Hollywood is realizing that. And I think Barbenheimer <laughs> really kind of hit that down too because i love things that i haven't seen before things that are unique things we just are going into autopilot every time we go into the movie theater now and the things we are grading movies on are if they hit a certain formula and i hate that i want things to try to break out of that formula And I am really, and I think everyone is really refreshed and happy to see things that are just a little bit different than what we've been paying 10 to $15 every movie trip for. Even just less common formulas. Like, I've seen Mm -hmm. the memes go around saying how Barbie, like, fits, like, the Lego movie or some other kind of self-aware franchise movie, like, down to the plot to achieve. Like, okay, yeah, but this is a movie we get once every three years Mm -hmm. rather than every year. And also, like, I can sing the praises of Barbie for quite a while. But, yeah, to hammer your point home of, like, doing things we haven't seen before. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to say there has not been a Lego movie out in, like, a decade or so. Mm -hmm. Unlike Marvel movies and DC (laughs) movies, they just won't stop. So at least I've had at least a decade away from this formula. And the other thing is Barbie was able to do it without CGI. (laughs) Barbie only did it with practical effects, which to this modern audience is weird and unique. We've never seen that. We're not used to seeing stuff like that without angry screaming colors on our face and just like really cool practical effects and a lot of pink paint and a lot of like skill and talent that went into these sets. And I I feel like this showed off how even mediocre CGI can still be used in like new satisfying ways even Mm -hmm. in superhero movies because like this nice little the nice tactile effects you see with like the transforming motorcycle or the helmet coming down. It's like. Okay, Iron Man did have elements of it, but it's mm-hmm. been so long since we've really seen that in these movies. Or, like, I swear anything that has cool tactical transforming robotic things, like, mm-hmm. almost immediately switches to nanobots. Like, yeah. Transformers did oh, it. God, yeah. Later Iron Man sequels did mm-hmm. it. And, no, I got... Oh, Big Hero 6. Big Hero 6 did it, yeah. Yeah. Like, I, the main one I think of is, like, when he takes out Bat-Og... Like, mm-hmm. you see the motorcycle do the little thrust to make it jump yes. up. And like, hilarious scene, too, because mm-hmm. it's like, ah, you can't jump more than 63 meters and save. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that I, the rider kick animation I love so much. That feels so mm-hmm. good. It looks better than, like, the famous common rider kick has ever looked before. And it's so, so cool. satisfying every time it happens. But, like, yeah, it doesn't look real. I feel like I'm looking at some glossy toy or something. But th- that kind of, like transforming toyetic effect Mm -hmm. i'm not tired of that yeah the only thing from recent years i can think of is uh the suicide squad like Mm -hmm. um i'm trying to think of the the not deadshot character that's in there uh idris elba oh my god what is his name regardless the gun he builds in the end that like just has all these pieces this is the power rangers adjacent 
imagery that like mm-hmm. I've been craving. Like I don't care how many two superhero team movies we get or how many robot adjacent movies we mm-hmm. get until we get that little like super satisfying transformation that makes you want to get a toy of whatever you're looking at like i won't be satisfied and one little tiny scene that we both love that was like nothing but it was so charming and cute is near the beginning him and her are walking and you don't even notice it first but the motorcycle is following them on its own like a little dog. Yeah. It's so cute. They don't draw attention to it. Mm-hmm. They don't use the self-driving stuff much. But, like, that was just such a fun little element. And, like, what otherwise might have been just this little, like, okay, the meet cute or get to know mm-hmm. you scene. All of a sudden, like, that's super charming. I now think the bike is cute. I wasn't <laughs> expecting that. But, yeah, that, that bike for five minutes is my favorite character in the movie. <laughs> right? I totally had a cute attack over that bike. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I really want to touch on from the movie. Like, it's still, yeah, it's still just like there was so much to process. I'll admit, we had to read a Wikipedia plot description after watching it because they put so many events into one movie. And, like, yeah, I was gushing about little Easter eggs and stuff, so we missed some lines of dialogue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, like, yeah, we got the got the point, blow up the computer, kill the robots, you know. <laughs> but I'd rather that than the no way home moment of just, like, wait a minute, none of that mates. <laughs> like, I love no way home, yeah. but, like... About two hours after watching it, this reality hits you of like, but why didn't Jamie Foxx look like he does? They kind of like, they act like they're explaining why he doesn't look like he did in the movie before, but they don't really explain that. And why are all these villains showing up just because they kind of died, some of them? Yeah. Like, yeah. And I feel like it's a fair comparison because No Way Home is like, the closest thing to a common Rider crossover we've gotten in theaters over here, like mm-hmm. the multi-generational scene showing how great all of them are and like doing nods to their little things. And frankly, like, I hope we get some kind of like Shin common Rider style crossover of any of these Toku franchises. Mm-hmm. Like, I've seen some of the crossover movies that come out over there yearly for their various franchises, but like, I don't really watch the shows that are getting crossed over. So like it kind of makes me realize how superficial Marvel movies have to seem to non-Marvel fans. Cause like they have all the same, like we're going to make it really dramatic when this writer shows up and gives some really generic action hero line. Mm-hmm. And you know, it just doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. Like I've heard people that saw no way home on video instead of in theaters. First, oh, I'm like so sorry. Kind of had a similar experience. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, if there's not the crowd freaking out when one of these guys shows up, then that moment just feels a lot more hollow. Yeah, you're like, oh, Toby McGuire. And this movie really only had, like, one scene like that at all. And it's at the very end when, uh, like, these two government agents they've been working with through the movie, like, oh, finally give their names. And they're like, yeah, I'm Taki and I'm Tubey. And that's, like, Common Rider's secret agent friend and kind of his Alfred <laughs> in the comic. <laughs> like, Okay, yeah, like, that. that's, this is a very appropriate amount of, like, fan service. And even though this is one of Japan's two biggest superheroes, the fact they didn't go that route of, like, just trying to capitalize on nostalgia as much as possible, like, I really respect. Mm-hmm. It's fun having a couple of, like, you know, little Halloween candy bars or something. Like, oh, yeah, those are good. And then, like, Disney and Marvel and stuff 
they they Augustus gloop everybody. <laughs> they just shove chocolate down your throat, and they're like, "Yeah, have more. You like this, right?" It's like, uh, "Yeah, I guess." Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> do you have anything else you want to say on the movie? Otherwise, like, no, I don't want to end up spoiling it for everyone. Just go watch it. Yeah, go watch it. You won't be disappointed. If you don't have two hours to kill, don't worry. It's pretty episodic, so watch it in chunks if you have to. You mm-hmm. still won't be disappointed. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for our first pretty informal episode. Uh, maybe I'll add the typical end credit stuff in here. Otherwise, I don't know, this probably isn't your first episode. If it is, go listen to some more episodes. Don't make me plug that stuff. I don't have a script. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, watch Shin Common Rider or Shin Mask Rider on Amazon Prime or rent it on a company that is maybe a little more reputable. <laughs> and yeah, have a great day. Bye. Hey, this is Tommy here again, from the further future, where I've since realized I should probably give quick credit to the other people that helped make this show possible. So I wanted to give a quick shout out to Raid A Parade and Dark Moon Home Video for designing our logo and cover photos, and also give credit to the music of this episode. Our intro and outro music is You're an Ace Kid by Demon Dice from their album Alcatraz, and our transition music was the Common Rider Black opening theme cover by All Faraway Music. If you like the show, please do leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you liked this episode, let us know. We'd love to make more episodes like this in the future, covering the other films in the Shin Reboot series. Thank you again for giving the show a chance. And until next time, remember to do your part in preventing the spread of the kaiju virus. But you're not just a brick in the wall